have to unplug there, Peter. We can't hear you. Nice. Welcome to the Wilderness Outreach Mancast. My name is Pete Mamoni, <laughs> along with John, Dan, and Bob. The Mancast is your weekly adventure into the wilds of masculine spirituality, where we will be hunting for the meaning of manhood, tracking down the intersection of faith and science, uncovering true leadership, and searching for the deep meaning of the history of God's created universe. So strap on your hiking boots and backpack, grab your compass and map, and let's get rolling. God, come to my assistance. Lord, make Lord make to help, help me. me. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was, it was in the beginning, beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Hallelujah. Let your holy people rejoice, O Lord, as they enter your dwelling place. O Lord, remember David and all the many hardships he endured, the oath he swore to the Lord, his vow to the strong one of Jacob. I will not enter the house where I live, nor go to bed where I rest. I will give no sleep to my eyes, to my eyelids I will give no slumber, till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the strong one of Jacob. At Ephrathah we heard of the ark, we found it in the plains of Urim. Let us go to the place of his dwelling, let us go to kneel at his footstool. Go up, Lord, to the place of your rest, and you and the ark of your strength. Your priests shall be clothed with holiness. Your faithful shall ring out their joy. For the sake of David, your servant, do not reject your anointed. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Let your holy people rejoice, O Lord, as they enter into your dwelling place. The Lord has chosen Zion as his sanctuary. The Lord swore an oath to David. He will not go back on his word. A son, the fruit of your body, will I set upon your throne. If they keep my covenant and truth and my laws that I have taught them, their sons also shall rule on your throne from age to age. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling. This is my resting place forever. Here have I chosen to live. I will greatly bless her produce. I will fill her with poor with bread. I will clothe her priests with salvation, and her faithful shall ring out their joy. There David's stock will flower. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. I will cover his enemies with shame, but on him my crown shall shine. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The Lord has chosen Zion as his sanctuary. The Father has given Christ all power, honor, and kingship. All people will obey him. We praise you, the Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. You have assumed your great power. You have begun your reign. The nations have raged in anger, but then came your day of wrath. In the moment to judge the dead, the time to reward your servants, the prophets, and the holy ones who revere you, the great and the small alike. Now have salvation and power come. 
the reign of our God and the authority of his anointed one. For the accuser of our brothers is cast out, who night and day accused them before God. They defeated him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. Love for life did not deter them from death, so rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell therein. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The Father has given Christ all power, honor, and kingship. All people will obey him. To the elders among you, I, a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings and sharer in the glory that is to be revealed, make this appeal. God's flock is in your midst. Give it a shepherd's care. Watch over it willingly as God would have you do, not under constraint and not for shameful profit either but generously. Be examples to the flock, not lording it over those assigned to you, so that when the chief shepherd appears, you will win yourselves the unfading crown of glory. This is a man who loved his brethren and ever prayed for them. This is a man who loved his brethren and ever prayed for them. He spent himself in their service. And ever prayed for them. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. This is a man who loved his brethren and ever prayed for them. Let us live holy and upright lives as we wait in joyful hope for the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him and every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Let us live holy and upright lives as we wait in joyful hope for the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is worthy of all praise, for he was appointed high priest among men and women and the representative before God. We honor him, and in our frailty we pray. Bring salvation to your people, Lord. You marvelously illuminated your church through distinguished leaders and holy men and women. Let Christians rejoice always in such splendor. You forgave the sins of your people when their holy leaders like Moses sought your compassion. 
through their intercessions, continue to purify and sanctify your holy people. In the midst of their brothers and sisters, you anointed your holy ones and filled them with the Holy Spirit. Fill all the leaders of your people with the same spirit. You yourself are the only visible possession of our holy pastors. Let none of them, one at the price of your blood, remain far from you. The shepherds of your church keep your flock from being snatched out of your hand. Through, Through them, them you, you give them your you give your flock eternal life. Save those who have died, those for whom you gave up your life. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, our Father, you gave your saints Timothy and Titus the courage and wisdom of the apostles. May their prayers help us to live holy lives and lead us to heaven, our true home. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless us, protect us from all evil, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Amen. Good evening, brothers. Good evening. John. How are you guys today? Good. Good day. Yeah, this is going to be a good one. Part four. Yeah, so what last week we we got uh, got into the depth of the uh, interpretation of Genesis and uh there's a great story involved in that that I didn't quite delve into. I did I guess I did delve into it a little bit about these uh these uh ladies that showed up on the scene, right? When I was doing my masculine journey trying to figure out what this thing called masculine spirituality is and the lord sent some ladies to help lead the way or show the way i should say to help point the way out and uh pretty phenomenal how that all happened and it was not something i was expecting in that process and uh but it but it's kind of now now at this point in time you know this it all started unfolding in 2011 and uh, and then it came to a culmination, say, by 2015. And now when I look back at it, I realize there were there were women along the way that were sort of intuitively understanding and technically understanding this whole difference between male and female and how it related to the Bible and scripture and everything. So it was uh, it's pretty neat to, to find that. So uh, one of our one of our brothers, and this is uh, asked this question, kind of a tongue in cheek. I guess he was trying to 
I don't know if he's trying to pick a fight or not. Maybe he's probably going to listen to this later. So <laughs> he'll send me a text, but he said, he said, if I'm, if I play the, uh, the role of the uh, secular feminist, I might say, who cares? Why, why is this even important? So what do you think about that, man? I think it matters because um, I guess from the secular perspective, it's a little bit harder to describe, you know what I mean, without faith or I guess we could assume that they have a foundation of belief in God, you know what I mean, or a higher power or anything. And they, they obviously believe that uh, men and women are created equally. Um, and uh, I think that uh, trying to convey that we were created to complement each other and not like me and you were built to compete, John. I wasn't built to really compete with women. You know what I mean? <laughs> Thankfully. So like, I don't know how we could go down that road of describing that to a secular feminist, but I'd say that's why it matters because everybody was born with a unique individualized role and purpose. And I've talked to a lot of people that don't have, religious beliefs at all that believe that still which is interesting that they have a purpose and a mission and it's like well your your sex kind of has a lot to do with that i think what do you guys yeah, think? yeah even just down to i think a basic level of you know whether it's raising your own kids if you have both well you, you have boys and girls or even just one one sex in the family like just understand that there's a wiring and there's an inclination towards certain things so how do you help foster that or in the workplace or on you know in a group or something just realizing oh there's some tendencies here not you know that there's when there's some broad strokes that help us have this paradigm to understand how it's going to work so if you're in the workplace and you're a leader and, and you're managing both men and women realizing that you need to differentiate in the way that you lead um, because there's going to be different ways that it's interpreted. So just, I think, um, this is kind of that basic building block. I mean, there's, there's the Myers-Briggs, there's, you guys talk about the five personalities, Jordan Peterson, there's those other things, but this is kind of like that fundamental one that I think is, you know, we'll get into is like, all right, there's these essence and differences between men and women and knowing that to start helps, um, you know, just unpack everything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, uh, so these big tendencies, which we see, uh, for instance, if you look at the tech, the, the, the hard tech industries, and you might say, you know, mechanical, electrical, engineering, um, physics, um, you know, all those, those high hard tech industries, they've just been, they're 80% male. And it's like, and, and, and the government keeps trying to throw all kind of money at it to, to dissuade men from going into that and persuade women to go into it. And it just didn't, it isn't working. Right. It's, uh, and, and, and it's kind of, um, and then, and then on the other hand, I, we brought this up last week, but I came out, I went to the dentist today. Nice. I love that. I love yeah. getting my teeth cleaned. Do you like the dentist? I like getting my teeth cleaned. It feels so it's, good. Well, it's kind yeah. of, it's it's interesting. So the dentist, so in this dentist office, I think there's 
15 people who are working there. There was one man. <laughs> His wife's dentist, a dentist. So, so it's, it's, a, it's a, a husband and wife dentistry office, but all the, the dental technicians are women. And they're very pleasant. They're wonderful ladies. And it's like you go there and it's kind of like, I, you know, other than the fact a little bit of like my jaw's a little sore right here. Because they had to they had to tear some old fillings out and put them back in, but it's like it was such a pleasant experience, and it's like very relational. And so all these women are working in there, and then the other place like that is the veterinarians, the veterinarian office. It's like so the vets office I go to there, it's all women, all women vets, and it's been heading in that direction for a long time naturally. So both of those industries have naturally move towards being dominated by females because I believe that it's that because women are made for relationships. And I think for, for women, and I think we see this biblically is that women, the primary importance of life is found in relationship. That's number one, right? And so why do we see this 80% of men in the hardcore object oriented type sciences because we're object oriented and uh yeah yeah and we're seeing so that's that's kind of going back to that uh i'm gonna pop this back up there again but if we go back to that one slide that uh and we're kind of backtracking from last week, but what Dr. Deborah Savage says is that it's first notable that man is made in a garden for some time before the appearance of the woman. And then she goes on to say man's first contact with reality includes the Lord God. And that then she goes on to say the contemporary dissatisfaction with the tendency of man to attend to things more than people completely overlooks the fact that the things of creation have ontological status. And she even goes on to say in that, that, that male and female probably have different modes of prayer because of the, the difference of our bodies, the theology of our bodies. So that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. But uh, so Biblic biblically, it appears that man was created first before the garden. During the creation of the garden, he was present. So he has imprinted upon him this deep, deep appreciation for things and the ontological order of things, of hierarchy, of how things fit together. And that's, I think, at our very core, that's what makes us such you know, thing oriented type of human beings. And then the woman who is born into relationship, right? So when, uh, when the woman is made out of, out of Adam's rib, when she awakens to the universe, it's completely filled with all the living things that God's already created. So the first thing she sees are, is everything in relationship, Which is pretty darn profound, I think. It really kind of, and, and so you look at that and say, yeah, women are, I mean, even women who go into like, let's say something like law, which seems to be a predominantly male type of industry, it's not really if you go to like, 
any kind of like nonprofit type of law or anything. Most women who are in the legal profession, again, it's almost like 80% of them are in some kind of relationship, a relational type of industry that requires lawyers as opposed to being litigators. So it's like, it just keeps holding up and and it's like these differences are just so deep seated in us. And I think it starts at, at the time of creation. You know, John, I think you bring up a good point of that, even in a career, you know, the way that a man is going to approach that as a lawyer or what feels within law he's going to look at versus where where a woman is tended to, to go is, yeah, it definitely has profound implications. So it's because we're like, oh, there's there's men, there's male athletes, there's female athletes, so there's male lawyers, there's female lawyers. But there's, yeah, there's still a, a whole different approach and a mindset of 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 how that's happening versus just like, Oh, they're both doing the same thing. They must be the same. Yeah. It's funny. I don't know. I I was kind of thinking like, I guess those are our roots. I mean, I know those are our roots for sure, but like, like now everybody's born into seeing everything, you know what I mean? So it's like, I wonder how much that's changed throughout time, even since like, obviously like Cain and Abel, you know, cause they were born into seeing everything as well. You know, so like that's just something I was thinking about. I don't really, I don't know. It's just something that popped out to me while you were talking about that, John. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that is an interesting question about uh, how, you know, at the, at the deeper level, like how does environment affect us? And, but, you know, I'd say at the time of Cain and Abel, things were pretty Neolithic. Yeah. <laughs> I'd agree with that. Yeah, don't <laughs> think there say. was any flush, flushing <laughs> toilets at that time or hot showers. And uh, it's kind of like a, it's sort of similar to the question of conscience. You know, it seems to me that we do have this primordial aspect of our soul and our intellect, which is the, the conscience. And it, it, it kind of predates everything, right? It's like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, the thing that came to my mind when uh, when you were talking about Eve coming from Adam's rib and coming into this world and seeing everything that's already been established, right? So they're seeing maybe the things that are good and maybe the things that that need work. And you know, I think about that with my own relationships with my wife, even my mother, my, my daughter, they were always the ones that were pointing me to do something different, or, you know, they recognized something that was going on. that was either a good thing or a bad thing. And sometimes it's done in a verbal way. Sometimes it's done in a, in a nonverbal way. So I do feel like there's that sense that a woman has that there's, they see all of the room. And they, they have a sense for each, each person that's in that room and what's going on at that time. That's been my experience, I think. And that's what clicked with me in, uh, you know, going back to scripture and thinking about it from the, from the point of view of Genesis. I think from the secular world, the thing that I'm thinking about is foundation, 
what is what is the foundation that you're building on, right? And I don't think people really think about that. It's that critical thinking that has been kind of lost. So I think having that critical mind and understanding where, where people's foundational beliefs are uh, from a secular perspective uh, come into play and how you can, how you can meet them mm -hmm. where they're at. So it's, I love this stuff. I could talk about this all night. Mm -hmm. We can kind of flip the script and in some of those, uh, have to have those diversity moments at work or something. You could just could throw some of these things because it's interesting because it doesn't that, at least from my experience in the, the corporate workplaces, diversity, we focus more on these like more granular levels and like there's almost never a discussion of like, Hey, this is the way you're approaching work as a man is going to be different than a woman. And like, that's okay. And like, let's just talk about that. It's just now like, no, here's this group. Here's that group. Here's the veterans. Here's the, you know, here's the Asian group. Here's whatever. And we can talk about those and we can want to be inclusive of that, but then we can't ha hammer in on a, this, these fundamental differences of men and women. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? It's uh, kind of makes you think about something. The church lady once said, <laughs> right could it be the devil could it be Satan? <laughs> so, yeah it's like it's almost become uh yeah but i think that's changing again now so what what's what we're seeing happen with this whole phenomenon of trans athletes so it's like the the the, the classical secular feminist movement was to proclaim that women could do absolutely everything that a man could do just as well. And the only reason why there was any difference was because of socialization, right? That, that was the, that was the, the, the battle cry. Programming. Yeah. And it's kind of like this whole craziness of the transgender movement of men all of a sudden say, Hey, I think I'll just be, I'll identify as a woman and play sports now. Um, fulfills that in some strange way, doesn't it? It's like, okay, you know, so the, the weird guys that would want to take advantage of something like that, okay, we'll take you up on that. But it's, so it's now what we're seeing are actually uh, in, in two different classes of, or let's say is using classes of women. I'm not sure if that's a proper phrase, but like uh, I know I've been reading some of the comments from, radical lesbians, feminist lesbians, they absolutely hate that. They absolutely hate the that men are taking over women's sports, which they should. And then there's just women athletes, right, that are realizing, no, men are, they, you know, we don't have a chance against men, right? And so that, so all of a sudden, the biological realities are starting to show themselves. I follow... Uh... Father Tom O'Connor, he's the pastor of Our Lady of the Gulf Parish down in uh, Mississippi. And his homily today, he mentioned that, I think it was 20 years ago, there were 250 uh, sex changes and it, were, it was mostly uh, boys. And he said in 2020, there were 5,000 and the majority of 
the uh, the sex changes were for for girls. So it's it's changing, you know. It's just it's it's strange how and, and they're and they're affirming this by doing it, calling it a, it's a it's not a sex change, but it's a gender affirmation, right? So it's it's a total play on words, right? It's yeah, like you go to vote and you vote for an issue, you, you've got to, you really have to figure out what it is that you're voting on because the way that the wording is, has been changed, um, it, it makes it feel like it's a good thing when it's not. I just, it's, it's amazing how, how we've gotten here in such little time. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. It blows my mind. Within like my lifetime, it's gotten really, really bad. Yeah. <laughs> really bad. Hmm. So let's let's move ahead a little bit and kind of talk about the uh the archetypes of male and female we find in the in the in the Bible and, and say in situations in the Bible and, and, and move right on into the, uh, the new Testament say, right. Into, uh, so what are some manly archetypes we find in the Bible? Take the easy one, say Jesus. There's number one. Number one guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of a funny thing. Like I've had a when I was at the vocations, uh, one of the vocations, uh, national vocations directors meeting, I I said that uh, I made a comment to a priest there that the number one archetype for the male was Jesus Christ, and he said you can't say that. It's too high I of a said, standard. <laughs> he said, you, you can't say that. You're not allowed to say that. And I said, what do you mean I'm not allowed to say that? I just did, right? <laughs> he said, because where where does that leave women, right? He says, well, women don't have anything then. And it's like. What? Yeah, that's what he said. What a funny human. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. So one of, one of my favorites, I have to admit, is John the Baptist. Gotta love John the Baptist. Makes right? sense. Out in the wilderness, eating locusts. And That's honey. right. That's right. <laughs> the water. Yeah, I think of David as well as as the, as the warrior and also the king. So this like in the battle, but also the the leadership of leading a whole kingdom and conquering. Yeah, I really like Elijah. The, mm. He was just bad dude. <laughs> Super cool. Yep. Vince is throwing Saint Joseph out there. I mean, yep. what a, what a man, right? Yep. Daniel, what about you? Uh, Michelle, and I did uh, Bible in a year with Father Mike Schmitz last year, and it's beautiful the way that it lays it out because you're walking along alongside of all these men 
and uh, they all start out as somewhat flawed individuals, right? So when you go to Jesus, you're going for perfection, right? But uh, it was it was good to, you know, whether it's Abraham, Elijah, David, um, all the the apostles, they're all somewhat flawed. So being able to uh, turn that around is the uh, is that great story of grace that uh, following God, putting God first, changed everything. Mm. Yeah, Matthew's Matthew's story with that was pretty intense, right? I mean, he was wealthy, tax collector, had everything he, any any man could ever want on the in the world, you know, and he dropped it like a bad habit. Right. Strikes me as wild. Yeah. Super yeah, awesome. I, I found it fascinating just watching the chosen. I know Peter, you've mentioned before and just the way that they're developing the apostles and some of these things are just seeing how they're trying to come into and, and wrestle with this and, and figure it out. And um, I think what's striking with that for, I think for men is too, is that like um, Jesus is making challenges and he's like, no, you're going to go out here and like, we're going to send you out two by two, go, go do something like it's going to be hard. Go do it. Not like, well, let's just wait. I'll just hang it. You guys just assist me in that. I just found that was kind of a neat thing is like, man, just go out and do it. Like you go take that area you take here and you know, they're kind of ribbing each other and they're like, Oh, is that going to go with him? And they just figure it out. Right. And even the personalities, how they, they show the personalities in the chosen. It, right. it makes it real. Yeah, they're doing a really good job of that, aren't they? Really bringing, you know, showing the humanity of our Lord and then, you know, the and the flawed humanity of our apostles, our our father, grandfather apostles. It makes the Bible and all this all the the gospel so much more relatable for me because it's like, wow, you don't you know what I mean? So when you read it, it's like, oh wow, this dude was just perfect. Like they said he wasn't, but <laughs> you know what I mean? But seeing it like that, I think it's a a major help for me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. really enjoy it yeah i think they're doing a killer job yeah so so if we're we're talking about this concept of archetypes and and it's easy for us men to point to uh masculine archetypes because i yeah i love david too right i mean there's so many great stories there the battle with goliath that whole yeah. leading up to that is just such a phenomenal story uh, I mean, but what, a, what a, as a kid what's what's that peter <laughs> if you do that as a kid you know what i mean like you're destined for greatness yeah at that point yeah yeah so but what about uh our our ladies and and our women folk right what's what's their who do they have right well you already said it our ladies have we have our lady it's sort of the, our that's lady. the first one yeah. right yeah, yeah. And kind of what's really neat, referring back to that idea about how women were created into great relationship, the church, the church itself is feminine. And Break that down for me, John. <laughs> the church is feminine, right? I mean, it's like, uh, and the, the church is the bride of Christ. And, uh, so the church and, uh, and, uh, and 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 marry our our mother, right? Yeah. 
think of, you know, one of the women in the Bible that really caught my attention was Judith, right? And how she was able to, you know, basically tell the men, you know, I got this, step aside, quit, you know, we're not going to run away from from our oppressors, the Assyrians, we're, I'm going to take care of this. And she went in and, and took care of business. So I think there's some great solid women. And I think about, you know, some of, some of the, uh, the religious, the nuns that I was taught by sister Marilyn Spires, who was a, you know, she was a, she was a tough woman, but she wanted the best. She taught me how to read. She wanted the best for me. And she was, she was a disciplinarian, but she did it out of love. It was hard. It's hard to see that when you're in the moment But I, you know, I remember going to visit her in a uh, nursing home here in the last few years. And we just became so, so close. And I was able to be there at her funeral and, uh, you know, she's kind of like a, a modern day Judith, you know, so there, there are women that are out there that, you know, are truly, you know, fighting the good fight and in the battle um, that can be real women, but yet they're, they're strong women. And we all know women like that. So there's a place for them. And then there's a place for other women that are just prayer warriors, you know, just like, uh, uh, St. Teresa of Avila, you know, just, you know, women that are great prayer warriors for us. So it's just, it's good to see all spectrums, right? And I think our women can, can find those heroes in scripture and also in, in uh, modern day, right? Mm -hmm. Mother Teresa, St. Mother Teresa. I mean, there's tons of great women and i know great women personally that i just you know admire so yeah saint monica was another one of those prayer warriors saint augustine's mom she was uh praying for that for a very long time yeah. i think another one that struck me out of the bible was uh, i think it was hagar i don't know the the lady they they were like running from the bad guys i can't really remember i'm sorry but i but they were like running from the bad guys and she like she like hid the good people from she was like a terrible person and she like turned it all around by doing this. Do you know what I'm talking about, Dan? You listen to the Bible in a year. That's where I heard it. <laughs> it's like the city of Jericho. There, I think yeah. right? Caleb and Josh, I think it's Caleb and Joshua, like what hides them because they're and lets them out of the city. Yeah, because they're like fleeing from someone because somebody's I'll have to look it up. Well, they're out there checking things out because they're getting ready to attack and take over the land, right? So they're yeah, out there, they're out there on the on, they're like the forward observers of the uh, the Israelites. They're going to check things out, and then and Hagar realizes that all oh, these guys are here, and we know what's coming next, right? So she, yeah, I think it's she, I think yeah. it's Rahab. I think that's who we're. I don't know. Maybe she didn't have the purest motives, but she turned it around and <laughs> helped out the right people at the right time, right? We also have that. We're constantly battling, right? I mean, there's just a constant battle going on. Yeah. Very little peace mm -hmm. in the Old Testament. So it's just foraging and and you know moving forward with God's blessing. 
Yeah, I think it's like that now, just a little less uh, physically violent. It's a lot more spiritual. It's just constant all around us, and it's, it's getting really intense with everything that's going on right now, everything that we've been talking about, everything we talk about. Mm-hmm. So if we, we think of like, so our Mary, the mother of God, if we think about that, I mean, what an amazing idea that the creator, the, the God King creator of the universe comes, comes to us through the womb of a woman. Right. It's pretty amazing the way that whole story takes place. And, uh, so kind of think about that. Uh, I want to compare those two yeses and let's say the, the yes that um, Mary, when, when, the, when the, the Holy Spirit comes to Mary or the angel of the Lord comes to Mary and says, you know, you're, gonna, you're chosen to, to, to bear the, the king of the universe and bring him into, into this world, into this time in history. Uh, she says yes. So what happens after that? In a sense, it's, it's the same thing that happens with every woman who's ever given birth, right? It's ever, who's ever bore a child some, from the time of conception on. Yeah, she becomes a mother. Yeah. But her yes is really, I mean, it's profound, right? It's like, so what, and it's like, if you think about the, let's put it in the terms of the theology of her body. Once she says yes, once the Holy Spirit comes to her, and then it's like the, the germ of the God of the universe is now growing in her womb. It's like sort of. I know this sounds this sounds so masculine, but game over, right? The 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 trains left the track. It's heading down the tracks, right? Yeah, she said once, and you know what I mean. It was a one-time gig, and I think opposed to that is uh, like we could look at Joseph, and uh, he has to say yes over and over and over again throughout the entire span of the uh this incredible story like in this picture right here like when they're going to egypt when they're flooding or i don't know how to say that when they're leaving the one place to get away from herod who wants to kill jesus um he had to say yes to that but before that he was like I think I'm just going to leave her quietly because this is weird. I think, you know what I mean? That's not my kid, obviously. I don't want to get her killed. And then an angel comes to him, and he, that's his first yes, staying with her and taking care of her. And then every day after that, relatable to me and, you know, everyone else that has kids and John with Wilderness Outreach, every day is a yes, I'm going to take this ground and move in the right direction. Because, I mean, like, there's nothing growing inside of me. You know, it's it's really interesting, isn't it? So with with Mary and let's say all women, once the life is growing within them, it's part of her. It's it's in her. It's growing. It's. um, It's it's a movement, 
of God's created universe that's taken place in the woman that's not something she has to make a decision of the will about. And it's internal to her, right? It's an internal thing. Whereas like, and then compare that with Joseph again, he says, he does say yes, but it's like, you know, the, after that, then it's like, Joseph, get up, take, take the mother and <laughs> yeah. the, take the mother and the child to Egypt now go. Right. And then after they're in Egypt for a while, Joseph, get up. It's time to go to, it's time to go to back to Israel, to Bethlehem. And he gets up and he moves and it's a, it's a, so he, obviously there's an element of inspiration but but his his movement is all about something that's happening outside of himself. It's an exterior type of expression. So it's 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 so different. It's so different. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean he always had the capacity to say no or to leave. Forget about it. This is too hard like so many fathers these days do, you know what I mean? There's so many kids without fathers that choose the easy route that it's easy for now, but at one day, you know what I mean? It's definitely not going to be. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause it's, you know, there's, you know, moms obviously can, they can say no. And there's been cases where moms have abandoned their kids, but it seems like there's something like we've talked about that there is this, this switch that, flips when when you become a mom and it's definitely different when you become a dad because dad may be there he may not be there right after conception he may never um, have seen his child whereas mom obviously has to have has that physical connection and that's always there in some way yeah i mean it's it's just biologically it's so different it's just the, the, the whole interaction is so different. It's like these are two different human beings, male and female, the way they experience this. And yeah. The way they, they interact with it. It's so for, for uh, two, two ways to kind of think about this. I think, for instance, if we look at the canticle of Mary that we read earlier tonight, compare that to the canticle of Zechariah. And I would suggest that the canticle of Mary, of course, it's 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 told it, it's said by Mary, right? And the canticle Zechariah is, is said by Zechariah, which is um, John the Baptist's father. But if you kind of look at how different those two can- canticles are, so with Mar- with the canticle of Mary. She says, "What she said? Start, start the canticle of Mary out for me again." Uh, my, my soul, soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. Yeah, my my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Right. So everything that she's talking about in the beginning is self-referencing in a natural way. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. And so everything is referencing her, you know, almost this inner reference of who she is in relationship with God. 
And it's very natural for a woman to do that. And then if we look at the canticle Zechariah, it's just the opposite. It's all exterior. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He's looking outside of himself. For he has come to his people and set them free. He has raised up for us a mighty Savior, born of the house of a servant, David. All of these, he's observing that something that's going on outside of him. Through his holy prophets, he promised of old that he would save us from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us. It's amazing how those two canticles really show the difference between male and female in such yeah. a profound way. And even the relationship to, to uh, mother and father, to their children, like like my relationship with my kids is all, you know, external and theirs was internal, but that, and then now it's external with their mom too. But like, it's always like, like you always have this sense of like, you can go to mom with anything and this and that. And it's like certain things I do anyway, it's like certain things I'm going to question a lot more before I bring them to dad, you know, because, <laughs> because of the way we interact and the way that we see things from the outside, you know, we don't see the things on the inside as much, I don't think. And it's just like, I think it speaks to that too. Maybe I'm not articulating it well, but. No, I think so. Uh, so Dr. Uh, uh, Popcheck. Yeah. Uh, what's Dr. Popcheck's first name? It's Greg. Uh, he's done some, he does some really great work with this stuff. So he's done some studies about, uh, you know, natural families and, and, and how the child progresses, you know, so it comes from it's, uh, you know, the, the child begins to live at day one at the day of conception, right. And it lives within the mother's womb for approximately nine months. So it's inside the mother. And so that when it comes out of the mother, uh, the first other in the natural family is the father, and it's like, who is this guy, right? And he's kind of like the father's like caring, but it's almost like immediately the father's like caring for the child, but then he's pointing out there, right? So it's the father's job to orient the child to out there, what's going on out there. And so uh, he goes on to say that the mother's good motherhood orients the child to how to have inner self-confidence and good mm. fatherhood prepares the child to bring that inner self-confidence and then and then leverage it into the world right to have this great self-confidence into the world and that's what the, those two it's almost two opposite two complementary type of processes going on there again between the male and the female So that gets us around to this one and, and maybe more, is, is, but I would like to talk a little bit about the uh, miracle at Cana and how that depicts the differences between male and female. Hmm. I think that... Uh... It ties everything together that we've been talking about, just like Dan said in the, in the beginning of the podcast, where it's like women come into existence seeing these things that are all together, and it's like this needs work, this needs done, and you know, 
Jesus himself is there and his mother tells him like they need wine. He's like, I know that, <laughs> you know, it's like probably I imagine that's the first thought in his head. So I know that. <laughs> but, you know, as you know, as Mother Mary is acting in her feminine role, she uh, she brings that to his attention because he's he's the one that can do something about it. Right. And uh, I think we've all experienced that in our lives having those things like Dan saying again earlier being brought to our attention in a way that, that uh, motivates us to make a change or, or do something about it. Right. It's sort of like this, something isn't right. I I'm the one that can sense as, as a woman, like I can sense this is off and then I'm going to nudge, cajole, push the man to active actively do something about it because we've all talked about sometimes it's just it's easy to just put your feet up on the chair and you're like ah it's close enough or that picture's out of place or whatever and or whatever and that sense that need for order or seeing a hey this could be redone and that's yeah that that nudge there and the concern of mary for how's this going to look how it's the wedding you know how are the groom and the bride going to think about this they're out of wine it's going to be embarrassing she's you know concerned for them and saying, hey, let's help, help them out. Like, not just, you know, not just everybody has more drinks, but so that, hey, that this is a, a joyful time and they're not embarrassed. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. She was thinking more about their feelings and the mm -hmm. way that, you know, that would affect them emotionally than uh, maybe Jesus was thinking about them like that. I don't know, you know totally possible and probably likely but uh it's a it's a beautiful example of how we are built to complement each other whether we're in deep relationship or not i think that's another thing that's really interesting is like it's hard for me to listen to um others whether it's a woman or a man if i'm not in a deep relationship with them you know, and that's something I'm working on with like listening and stuff. But I think it might be more so hard for me to listen to women that I'm not in a deep relationship with than a man. It's like, yeah, okay. I mean, that's me just being being honest about it. But I think that I think that a lot of men can relate to that and uh, and maybe feel the same way. But it's something to be aware of and uh, to know that we can always learn something from anyone no matter what well yeah peter i'm just imagining i mean you i think you're a mechanic right? you work on cars so like if somebody had a flat on the side of the road you're just like i'm there let me help you but if they're like hey can we have a 15 minute conversation to talk about where i need to go from here or there <laughs> you know like you're oriented towards that here's the action like this is this is a thing this isn't right i can fix it right that's that's the right that's kind of the inclination is it no, that's yeah. correct. Yeah, that's yeah. right on. Yeah, it reminds me of a story, but uh, yeah, it does. <laughs> so what, that did want to talk forever. <laughs> so, so I'm kind of I'm being kind of playing the ornery guy here for a second, you know, and thinking about this: how men are are like object oriented, physic physically oriented, and the woman is oriented towards the, uh, you know, the primary importance of the universe for a woman, I believe, is relationship. I really believe that. And then for men, it's like the ontological order of God's created universe or something. So in a way, it's like Mary says, there's no wine left. 
So from a humorous standpoint, Christ could say, yes, there are empty buckets there. So what? <laughs> what do you want, woman? <laughs> right. Okay. Empty buckets <laughs> or jars, right? Uh Monica, Dr. Monica Miller does a really good job talking about that. Uh, she studied that. So in her book, uh, The Authority of Women in the Catholic Church, which is a, a book that everybody who's interested in male and female differences needs to get that book and read it. It's just fantastic. But she says the, a lot of times the way that story's told, it's like Mar Mary says to Jesus, they have no wine left. And he looks at her and says, what's that to me, woman? almost kind of a gruff, you know, it kind of comes off like, would well, stop bothering me, you know? <laughs> and actually she says, that's not the way, that's not what the original Hebrew or Greek says. It's, uh, it's more like, what does that mean to us woman? So he's actually asking her, what does this mean? And she, and then that's when, and then, and what's so neat about that is, is the way that's unfolding is that then she just steps back and says, do whatever he tells you. There's something so profoundly wonderful and great about that. So I think then this points to this, you might say this difference between leadership between men and women, Right. It's, it's, it goes so, so where I think a woman has this great ability to, and it goes back to those brain studies at the University of Pennsylvania, that the, the female brain is built to connect the intuitive with the analytical. So that's what Mary's doing. She's, she's like, the intuitive is there's something wrong here with the, the relationships going badly here because there's no wine left. So the intuitive is the relationship, the understanding of relationships sort of heading in the wrong direction and the analytical, no wine. And then the, the male brain is built to uh, connect between perception, say a perception of a problem to a coordinated action to get the problem taken care of or get the job done. Right. So in a sense, in a lot of ways, the woman can see this bigger relational picture and kind of focus the man's attention. Look what's going over there. And then the male brain can say, ah, okay, I see. It starts here. There's the critical path, and we get the job done out here. And in a sense, that's what I see what's going on with, with uh, Mary and Christ at that time. It's like the perfect man, the... the, the uh, the second Eve and the second Adam, in a sense, fulfilling their destiny as male and female in complementary ways. Mm. I like that. Right, because if you're always, like as a man, if you're like that, it's the plus of being zoomed in is you can, if you're zoomed in on the right thing, you can you can figure it out. You can get the job done. But that zooming in, you miss sometimes that big picture. So, like you said, John, for for Mary to kind of say, "Hey, look over here," or like someone like, "Hey, look over here." Like once I get you to look that way, 
it'll get it solved, but you're looking, you know, complete opposite direction right now. So to say, Hey, something's over here. Take a look over here. Yeah. Some, something's troubling me about something here. Right. And, and getting the man to look in that direction is, and, and again, what's so, you know, there, there's so much involved in all that. Right. So we as male creatures and our, our complimentary, uh, lady friends, brides, sisters, uh, all the way around, you know, on both sides were, were kind of confused by original sin. Right. And, and so we're both kind of suffering from that. So when we're both working properly, we're both, you know, we're not disordered and we get those those moments in our lives where we can work out of good order with one another. It works, right? So and, it, and it's and it's beautiful in that way that it uh, we can work together, make it happen. Good stuff. So, men, next week. We're going to uh, we're going to get into uh, a. Uh, why don't you tell it? Why don't you tell uh, everybody who's listening, Bob, about what we're going to do next week? Yeah, so next week we're going to talk about uh, the Working Genius, which is an assessment by Patrick Lincioni. Um He's an organizational health consultant, and what's unique about this assessment is that it it's looking at just in the phases of work from sort of that beginning big picture down to the end of the completion, um, kind of looking at six different levels of that and seeing, okay, where, where do my strengths lie in this process of work? And so that the, same, the thought is, okay, I have some areas that are like my working genius. This is, this is my wheelhouse this is what I'm really good at. There's other parts of the work process. That's my working competency. I can do it. It doesn't necessarily, make me feel alive but it doesn't completely drain me and then there's these areas of working frustration where it's like oh i have to do it but it just pulls all the energy out of me and so we'll talk a little bit about that of how as an individual that works and then as a team trying to think about yeah when you're when you're getting these projects how can you try to work with that and say okay can we can we let people can they work in their geniuses and how how does this interact and you know how are we wired by god that even as men and women it's not that each man or each woman's given all the parts of this that, you know, there's areas that we are strong in and then other areas that we lack in and just how the Lord has hardwired us to need others. And for projects, there's a need for groups to, to do it because no one person has all the strengths and the answers to get it done. Yeah, it's really pretty insightful. I'm really looking forward to that because I think like Bob, you and I are pretty different. I think when we're, we're going to show that how we're really different in different ways so that there's, right. there's different aspects of say doing the job that you and I are the things that I do well, you don't want to do. And the things you do well, I don't want to do. Right. And that's a good right. thing because yeah. the things that we both do well, we'd rather be doing those anyway. And they're the things that energize us. Right. So as we move into these kind of team settings, it's good to know where do we stand because really want to want to pass the ball off to the guy that's that knows how to do it right and wants to do it right 
And, uh, yeah, that's going to be good. And even with Peter's, I, I was kind of surprised when I started looking at, uh, cause I think Peter and I have share some things, which we do, but there's some aspects there. It's like, Peter says, I don't even want to think about doing that. And I'm like, I really want to do that. <laughs> right? So, so it'll be interesting to see what Dan's got. And I want, I want to try to get a few more, at least a couple more of the, uh, wilderness outreach guys next week on here. I think Steve Ford will be a good one to get on as well. And maybe if we can get a couple more guys on and get, have them do the, the working genius, we can sit down and kind of talk about that. Did you take yours yet, Dan? I have not, but I've been working with Michelle now since August in our little business. And I'm noticing some of her strengths and some of my strengths and how they are complementarity to one another. So it's just paying attention to some of those uh, areas that you work in and, you know, how that all comes across. It's pretty cool. So, it's nice to find a fit, right? Oh yeah. Right. 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 So coming up here soon in wilderness outreach, we're going to be doing the uh, annual wilderness outreach, Damascus youth campus uh firewood event so and that'll be the uh, march 3rd and the 4th a uh, group of men maybe bob will join us out of uh Pens- out of pennsylvania maybe so we're gonna it's gonna be like fire it's gonna be uh chainsaws and splitters man lots of guys coming in they got lots of wood out there it's gonna be a lot of firewood cut and split for the for them uh for their campers for throughout the the summer and uh, I think last year we had 20 men out there. And so we'll camp out Friday night and uh, all day Saturday go to work. And uh, Friday night we'll do uh, a Word Wars event. Or we'll, we'll have a, a challenge of who gives the best presentation. And then there's uh, my favorite uh, splitting acts will be, we'll go to the man who wins. And there's only one winner. And there are no there are no trophies for participation. Uh, we don't do that. Yeah. Uh, if you if you know if you if it hurts so bad to lose that you'll cry and then just go off behind a tree somewhere and lay in your fetal position and don't you know don't bother us, right? So I'm talking to you guys out there, right? If you're listening, so I don't mean well, to scare you, but you know you might. Or come so we can watch you cry. <laughs> And then uh, uh, weekend of March 10th through uh, March uh, Sunday, March 12th, we're going to be down in Tar Hollow, and we're going to call that Trail Work Cigars and Masculine Spirituality. So we're going to be recruiting some men from the Newman Center at Ohio State University, and uh, and then a bunch of us older guys. And I don't know. I don't know if they can hang with us or not. You know, the young guys, you gotta, you gotta show up before you can hang. Right. So, but I think we'll get some young men out there that'll be joining us. And I think we'll get father Streitenberger, all peace and good. We'll come down and, uh, celebrate the mass for us and, uh, and help us, uh, clear some trails. Uh, carry the cross will be coming up on, uh, April 8th. Bob, have you been to carry the cross before? I have not. Okay. So. You can't, that's right. You showed up. It was kind of funny years ago, Bob showed up at the advent hike 
and he walks up to me and I'm like, my brain just like, I know who this guy is. And, and you, I don't know if you remember this, but you looked at me and you said, I get it, John, it's called brain freeze. <laughs> <laughs> and i hadn't seen you for a while right but it's like i know who this is my brain's not working but anyway that was so that's uh we'll be doing that on uh at tar hollow again where bob's bob's been in tar hollow before so we'll yep. do a 12 mile rugged hike there to kind of complete the uh uh the uh begin the easter season i should say in in the Lenten season and begin the Easter season, and then uh, April fourteenth and sixteenth, we're going to do a fathers and sons camp out, uh, Tar Hollow again, and then coming up in May, the Newman Center Men Rogue River Expedition in Oregon. That's going to be sweet. Uh, we're going to go into the front range of the Rocky Mountains in July to do some investigations to find some more places that we're going to do expeditions. And then, uh, then we're going to go into the Ansel Adams wilderness in August and the forest service out there is going to load, load up a bunch of tools and rock bars and foods for us. And we're going to backpack in about 10 miles up onto the John Muir trail and the Pacific crest trail and get back to work up there. So That'll be a great expedition. So uh, uh, I think that's it tonight, folks. If you get a chance, jump on over there to uh, um, YouTube and hit the uh, subscribe and like button. And uh, Dan, would you care to pick out a prayer for us tonight and end the prayer for us? And can you grab something there? Yeah. name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father, for our men. Lord, we thank you for equipping our men to take their rightful place in you. Thank you for the men and young men who will join the body of Christ and glorify your name. Thank you, God, for restoration, reconciliation, and healing in our families and in our communities. Continue to bless and protect our family wherever they may be, continue to bless wilderness outreach and the ministry that's been set forth by John and so many men that are part of that. We ask you to uh, continue to lead us where we need to go and follow you and listen to your word and stay out of your way. And we'll close with the Our Father. I'm sorry, we'll close with a Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen.